0: Good morning, welcome to the Life Christian Church. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. If we haven't met, my name is Jason Pettibone. I'm one of the pastors here at TLCC. In fact, I serve as the weekend experience pastor. In my role as a pastor here, I've often been heard saying that we are one church that meets in multiple locations. And this morning, as it has been for the last several months, we are meeting in several locations around the world. So wherever you're joining us from, and whatever device you're using to join us today, thank you for spending a little bit of your time with us. It's great to have you here with us today. And it's exciting to know that pretty soon, some of us will be back together in person. This morning, I have the honor of sharing today's message with you. As most of you, or many of you are aware, Pastor Terry is on his annual study intensive where he spends time praying, studying and focusing on where God is directing him to lead our church in the next year. Just this week, he sent out an email, and I hope you've had a chance to read it, with some exciting updates about us meeting in person, as you heard in this morning's comments, and also about our next trimester. The theme is indestructible. It will begin on September 20th, which promises to be an amazing day here at TLCC. I encourage you to be watching out for more information as it's, as it's released. Today, we're gonna to continue our summer series where we have explored courageous characters and Christians who have stood strong in the face of difficult circumstances. In the past few weeks, both Christian and Pastor Ryan have shared about courageous sto- stories about the life of Paul, about Dorcas or Tabitha and Peter. I hope you've gotten as much out of this series as I have, and I pray that today you're able to take something as we look at another courageous character from the Bible. If you're following along in your life notes this morning, I encourage, and I encourage you to do so, especially on the new TLCC app. And here's a side note. If you're, if you're joining us in the chat and you've downloaded our app, in fact, who's downloaded our app? Right now in the chat, let our chat hosts know uh, if you've done it, and it may even provide some feedback. But as you're following along in your life notes, I, I want to start by taking us to Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31, which, which details an interaction of Jesus and a person that Mark refers to as a teacher of the law. Verse 28 says, "'One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating.' Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked of him, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus sums up the Ten Commandments into two statements. And when we live out those two statements, we are living out the standard that God has set for us. Love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew, in his gospel account of the same interaction, uh, details that Jesus said that, or details that these two commandments are the foundation for all the law and the prophets. Love God and love people. This morning, I propose that there are times when living out those two statements takes courage. And we're going to use an Old Testament prophet named Nathan as the subject of our study. Well, who is Nathan? Well, first, let me be very clear. I'm not talking about the hot dog guy. It's Labor Day weekend. Some of you may have Nathan's hot dog, this weekend, but that's not who we're using as the subject of our study. I'm talking about the Old Testament prophet. Maybe you've heard of him, but certainly he is not a person anyone know, any of us knows a lot about. The Bible, in fact, doesn't tell us much about him. He's never actually written about in the New Testament. And, I'll, and though there are some Jewish sources that indicate some things about him, in, including that he may have studied directly or indirectly under Samuel, and that he was a court prophet, which means he provided counsel to kings. After that, there's not much more. So again, we ask, who's Nathan? Nathan was a prophet in Israel during the reigns of Saul and David and Solomon, and he was part of King David's inner circle. Although there are not many passages about him in the Bible, we will see in the texts that we look at this morning and that we reference this morning that Nathan was a courageous man who was faithful to God and also to his friend David. Courageously faithful in tough times and likely in good times too, Nathan loved God and loved his neighbor. Living out what centuries later Jesus would say were the greatest commandments. In fact, Jesus said that. Jesus lived about a thousand years after Nathan. We first meet Nathan, the pro- we first meet Nathan the prophet. Excuse me, in 2 Samuel chapter seven, which to give you some backstory is just after David has become king and after he's conquered Jerusalem. David has brought the Ark of the Covenant to the outskirts of Jerusalem, and now he, David, is resting in his palace. But the text tells us that David has a sense of guilt about all that he has attained, while God's presence and the Ark of the Covenant is left to a tent on the outskirts of the city. So he turns to Nathan and tells him that he wants to build a suitable building to house the Ark of the Covenant, i.e. God's presence. And that's where we meet Nathan, when Nathan responds to David by saying this, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the Ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan the prophet. That's all we get. It's not exactly an exhaustive backstory. But if, if we look at the times where Nathan is referenced in the story of the Bible, what we see is a number of conversations that he has with David. The first one is detailed here in Second Samuel chapter 7. He has a conversation with David about David's desire to build a temple for God. And after listening to David, he tells David to go ahead with his plan that God was with David and that he should do whatever he has in mind. And then he goes home or back to his room. And that evening, he receives a word from the Lord instructing him to tell David, and this is a paraphrase. Tell David he needs to hit the brakes on his plan. So the next day, Nathan has to go back to the king and take back the advice he had given him the previous day. He has to tell David that instead of David building God a house, that David's offspring would do that. But he also told David that God was ensuring that David's house and his kingdom would endure and that his throne was being established forever. So that's a mixed bag, right? The first conversation we read about between Nathan and David is a good news, bad news thing. Good news, your kingdom's going to last forever. Bad news. I was wrong yesterday when I gave you some advice and you can't build a temple. If we're fair, if we're fair when we look at that, we can see that that might cause David to begin to question Nathan as an advisor, question Nathan as a prophet. And so that's, that's the situation that Nathan has faced in our first conversation. He has to go back to David and deliver good news, bad news. Have you ever had to deliver bad news? Maybe you're the person in your company who's had to communicate a restructuring. Maybe you're a teacher who had to tell a student that they weren't going to pass. Maybe you're a parent and you've had to tell your, cha- your children some bad news like, There'll be no trip to Disney World this summer because of a pandemic. Whatever the situation is, delivering bad news is obviously not fun, especially when that news is coming from someone else. Several years ago, I, I worked for Whole Foods Market and I was part of a launch team that launched a store at the, that still sits at the corner of Houston and Bowery in New York City. At the time it opened, it was the largest grocery store in Manhattan. In fact, I think it still is. The place was huge. In fact, the only thing bigger than the store was our plans for how busy it would be. The front end team alone had more than 200 team members. We trained for weeks. We were ready to go. And on the morning of our opening, our team members were the only people in the store. While today I understand that the store does very well, when we opened the store, the truth is the neighborhood just wasn't ready for us. Within a week, we, had, we were instructed by our supervisors and team leaders that we had to tr- begin to transfer people off of our teams. And because we didn't want to lay anyone off, we had to find other stores for the, our team team members to be transferred to. Sometimes those transfers were going to triple that person's commute and make working for us and for our organization significantly more cumbersome. I can tell you those were not fun conversations to have with people. It's never fun to deliver bad news, but that's just what Nathan had to do in that first conversation. But it goes on, the second time we read about Nathan is also in the context of a conversation between Nathan and David, and it will serve for us this morning as the second example of Nathan showing courage again, he's going to deliver less than good news. This time David has sinned. In second Samuel chapter 11, we read the account of David's sin with a married woman named Bathsheba. To some of us, this is a well-known story. And so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but to give you a brief synopsis and the backstory. David is hanging out in his palace. Actually, he's hanging out on the roof of his palace. He, he sees a woman that catches his eye, and although he knows she's married, he commits adultery with her. When he finds out that she's pregnant, he conspires for her husband, a man named Uriah, to come home from his army duty. You see, Uriah was actually serving in David's army. Uriah comes home, and, and David encourages him to go and be with his wife. But Uriah is a man of honor and he refuses to go home to his wife and his brothers, his army brothers, his army boys, his guys are out at war. David makes multiple attempts to get Uriah to go home, sometimes less than in stellar means. In fact, one time he gets him drunk, tries to get him to go home to his wife, but Uriah always refuses. And so eventually David changes his plan. He pens a letter to the uh, commander of his army and seals it and sends it back with Uriah for Uriah to deliver to Joab. And the the letter commands Joab to place Uriah in the center of the front line in the most fierce fighting area. Basically, He signs a death warrant for Uriah. And so Uriah dies in the battle. And David, after learning that Uriah dies, and after allowing Bathsheba time to grieve her husband, brings Bathsheba to the palace and makes her his wife. After this horrific set of events, we read in 2 Samuel 12 that the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he tells Nathan this story we're going to read this passage together from 2 Samuel 12. And it's a little bit lengthy. There's about 12 verses, but stick with me. When he, Nathan, came to David, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it. And it grew up with him and his children. He shared it. It shared his food. It drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. The animal was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking any of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to see him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I appointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now... Therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to, the one, to one who is close to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. What you did in, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel." Wow. The story of David and Bathsheba is a well-known and sordid tale. It's been told many times in many ways. I would posit to you this morning that it's one of the most well-known stories about one of the most well-known people in the Bible. But for Nathan, living in the moment with his king, His friend, I cannot help but wonder how Nathan felt when the Lord sent him to confront David. Really, God? Are you sure? But he went and he confronted David by telling him a story designed to ignite David's desire for justice. But he didn't have any idea how David would respond. Remember, he had just Watch David murder someone over this situation. And now he's being sent by God into the middle, into the middle of a powder keg. We're going to come back to that conversation in, in just a minute. But before we do, I want to highlight the third and, and final conversation between Nathan and David that we're going to look at this morning and then I'll have some takeaways for you. The third and final time we read about Nathan is centered around a conversation, a third conversation he has with David. This time it's detailed in 1 Kings 1. Nathan goes to David to make sure that David's wishes of who will succeed him as king are executed. You see, at this point, David's become an old man, not much time left to live. And his children have started to maneuver their way in to see how they could each become the king. And Nathan works with Bathsheba to ensure that her son Solomon will be declared king. Even after one, of, another one of David's sons named Adonijah had declared himself king. This is the third storyline that involves Nathan. And it's the third time we speak him. We see him speaking honestly and truthfully with David, He was clearly a loyal subject to David and one who had the courage to serve God and to love his neighbor. As I said earlier, I propose that there are times when living out what Jesus said were the two greatest commandments takes courage. Honestly, to be transparent, I think we can all agree that sometimes it's harder than others to live that out. There are times when it takes courage to stand up for God and/or for others. In fact, I submit to you that prioritizing God and prioritizing others is an important element of biblical courage. There are multiple examples in Scripture of people being motivated to the, by the desire to save others or to follow God into dangerous situations. And this week, in our daily devotionals, our pastoral team is going to explore several of those stories. If you don't receive those devotionals and you're interested in doing that, you could sign up for them at tlcc.org devotional. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. We see Nathan in these stories, loving God by obeying God and honoring truth. Repeatedly, we read about the Lord directing Nathan to go to David. And then in the next verse, we read that he obediently goes. And when he went, and as we see in various situations, he consistently spoke directly and honestly to David. I have a lot of respect for Nathan. And I have a lot of respect for the Nathans who've been part of my life. People, have been consi- people who have been consistently honest and direct with me and for me. That's the key there, for me. Nathan was being honest for David. One of the books that has had a real impact on my leadership is a book called Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. In the book... Susan says that all too often, our courage fails when the time comes to speaking open and honestly. Again, she says that our courage often fails us when it, when it comes to time to speaking openly and honestly. I know that there have been many times in my life when I was faced with the choice of being direct and speaking truth with someone, but I have chosen to be passive and put the feelings of others impor- over the importance of truth. Now I need to be very careful here because the truth when used ind- incorrectly is a dangerous weapon. But when, po- when used as Paul directs us in Ephesians 4 uh, four fifteen, when spoken in love, it's a way we honor God and love our neighbor. My wife, Joy, and I have learned a simple truth in the last few years that we often repeat to each other. The truth is kind. And there's a fine line here, and I encourage you to tread it wisely. Do not use the truth as a way to inflict harm, but in the betterment of others, speak the truth in love, just like Nathan did. If you look at Nathan's methods in communicating truth with David, he was direct, And he was not divisive in his speech. I heard someone talking this week uh, about the phrase brutally honest. And they wondered, why is honesty so brutal? Clearly they had been checking out social media because even, because on social media, it seems like everybody's brutal. And they wondered why more people are, are, are honest, but not brutal. Nathan wasn't brutal in his honesty. In fact, he was loving David with the truth. And it's not just loving God that helps us exhibit biblical courage. We also do that by loving our neighbor. In an article in the Harvard Business Review from this past May, uh, Harvard professor Manfred ketz writes that writes about how some people may be more biologically predisposed to be thrill-seekers. To be honest, I bet you know some people who seem to be more attracted to risk taking activities. Recently on uh, TV and on social media, and I've seen a bunch of ads for a documentary about Action Park from the 1980s. It's a current documentary that's looking back on Action Park. And for those of you who are old enough to remember Action Park as I am and, and had the privilege of being able to attend you can remember that you really had to re- be a risk taker to get on any ride that place was providing. And so there are, you, I'm sure you can acquit, you can agree that there are some people who seem to be more attracted to risk than others. However, the article, fi- uh, in the article, Kets de writes that he finds that when it comes to protecting other people, Many of us who are not prone to risk-taking are compelled to act at risk to ourselves in the interest of protecting other people. This should not be a surprise. We are biologically designed to exhibit biblical courage. Part of our makeup as God's image bearers is the innate desire to put others first. And so this morning... Looking at the life of Nathan as an example of someone who courageously loved God and loved his neighbor, I want to offer a few principles that we can use to guide us to becoming people or continuing to be people who exhibit biblical courage. As you're following along in your life notes, here are some takeaways this morning on how we can exhibit biblical courage by loving God and loving people. The first takeaway this morning is that we exhibit biblical courage when we choose to speak truth in love. One aspect of loving our neighbor as ourselves is being courageous enough to be honest with them in difficult situations. In Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, Paul writes, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here or there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does his work. Paul is instructing the church in Ephesus to be aware of unsound teaching. And one of the ways they do that is to help each other and be willing to speak truthfully to one another using love as a guardrail. But those conversations take courage. I know that because I've seen it in my life. An important aspect of my personal growth has been to to learn to receive feedback. Feedback is something, to be honest, for most of my life I hated. I was so defensive that I was not able to receive it well. I always took it personally. But as I learned some guardrails about how to give and receive feedback in love, I have learned to love how feedback helps my development as a leader, as a husband, as a father, as a person. Feedback, and, and some of the people on my team have heard, heard me talk about this, um, should be done with a foundation of choosing positive intent. Believe that the person you are talking to, whether you're giving or receiving feedback, has good intentions. Then, when you have feedback for someone, your relationship with them will factor in the delivery. Believe the best of the person and be wise enough to deliver it well. If you have a relationship with the the person, one that you have learned to trust one another, then you've laid the groundwork to be honest and direct with each other. And likely you'll know the best way to communicate it. I can see this in, in a couple of ways in Nathan and David's relationship. First, Nathan had earned David's trust. It's pretty clear that The three conversations we talked about, the three conversations that are laid out in Scripture are not the only conversations these two guys had. Nathan had earned David's trust. Otherwise, he wouldn't be hanging out with him in that first interaction in the palace. To be in that place meant he had become a trusted person to David. And second, even though he had earned David's trust, when he confronted David with Bathsheba, or about Bathsheba, Nathan was wise in the way he communicated truth. He wrapped his feedback in a way that would resonate with David. You see, in case you didn't know, David had previously been a shepherd and, uh, and the story of a lamb being stolen would have resonated with him as a shepherd. It would also appeal to his sense of justice. And that's how Nathan exhibited love for God and for David when he courageously spoke honestly and directly And so what does that look like today? How do you exhibit love for God and love for your neighbor by caring enough about them to be honest? I think that's a question for us all to think about. The second takeaway this morning is that we exhibit biblical courage when we choose to prioritize others before ourselves. You see, relationships matter. Nathan had a relationship with David, and that relationship availed him the platform with which to speak. Clearly, David trusted Nathan. He spoke with Nathan about his plans. He listened to Nathan. They had a relationship. It's easy to see that value the value of that relationship, too, especially for David. I say especially for David because... The thing I, that, about Nathan's story that I marvel at the most is that for the most part, especially when he's confronting David, there's nothing for Nathan to benefit from except that he prioritized obedience to God and his love for David. Let me say that again. The thing I marvel most about Nathan's story is that especially when he's confronting David— There's nothing of benefit to Nathan other than his desire to be obedient to God and love David. When I really think about it all, I see that Nathan's position, his role, his relationship, even his life are put on the line when he goes to David. I have to wonder what he thought when God kept directing to go there for tough conversations. Me again? God, why why does it always have to be me? But Nathan exhibited his love for God and his love for David when he courageously chose to speak honestly and directly to David for the betterment of David. The third takeaway I want to share with you this morning is that we exhibit biblical courage when we choose to follow God's leading rather than look to the acceptance of others. Nathan knew God's voice. You know, we can learn to know the voice of God in our lives, the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, I think I need to say that more forcefully. We need to know the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot know how to walk into the dreams God has for us if we don't know how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because God's plans are better than our plans for ourselves, and we need to know how to walk into what God has for us but it takes courage sometimes. There are moments where things won't make sense to us. Again, we know there was nothing of benefit for Nathan here, except that he prioritized obedience to God and he prioritized his love for David. Nathan did not know how how his message would be received. That inspires confidence, doesn't it? okay, I'm going to go be obedient to God. This might work. I cannot count the times in my life where I've been obedient to the Holy Spirit. I've followed God's lead, and I've been completely confused about how it was all going to work out. Here's one more aside for you this morning, because I've seen people at times myself included, think or rationalize that I was following the leading of the Holy Spirit when I was actually trying and manipulating the situation to get what I wanted. And so we have some things that will help us know if we're following God's lead. Things like, does what we are thinking, hearing, feeling align with Scripture? Have we sought wise counsel? Have we prayed about it? Have we asked others, maybe our li- people in our life group or people in our, the life team we serve with? to pray with us about it. Before I go too far down that tangent, I want to make sure I stay on point. When Nathan went to David about Bathsheba, he had no idea how David would respond. He knew David had just murdered Uriah to protect himself, and there was no reason to believe David wouldn't kill him too when he let David know that he was aware of what had happened. But but Nathan's motivation was that God had directed him to go, so he went. That is courage. Choosing to be obedient to God's leading when you don't have all of the answers is an exhibition of true biblical courage. We spent a lot of time this summer talking about courage and being people who will choose courage despite difficult circumstances. Pastor Terry during our summer festival of outdoor services, exhorted us through the story of Paul at the end of the book of Acts to take courage. Christian encouraged us to be courageous people through the story of Paul before King Agrippa and through the life of Peter, who though early in his life was less than courageous, grew to become a courageous leader. Pastor Ryan encouraged, inspired us to be courageous using the testimony of Dorcas, the Apostle Paul, Peter, Dorcas, and Nathan. Just a few of the people the Bible tells us about who chose to take courage in the situation they found themselves in. Today, we find ourselves in a different situation. As I think about all the things I could focus on that would cause me to be discouraged, and there are many, in fact, As I was typing out my message, and you can tell I manuscript my message, I read it. As I was typing it out, I began writing out all of the things that could discourage me. And there were so many that I told myself, I need to delete these. That's not what I wanna be focused on. I choose to have the courage. I wanna choose and I'm choosing to have the courage to not let my situations determine my outlook. Jesus encourages me, he encourages us to love God and love people. And I am choosing, I am determining to be courageous enough to love God by following the example of the Holy Spirit and to love my neighbor by putting them first. As we head into this fall and whatever may occur, and we look towards living and, and talking about an indestructible life in trimester three, would you join me in that commitment? Let's choose through the power of the Holy Spirit to courageously love God and love others as we walk into the dreams God has for us and as we spread his love in ever-widening circles.